Good day, mate. This is QD Clinic. Hi, I'm Jack Cush, executive editor of RoomNow.com. This month, QD Clinic is devoted to psoriatic arthritis. If you haven't signed up, tomorrow night, Tuesday night, the 19th, we have a fabulous panel discussion at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, Controversies in Psoriatic Arthritis, featuring Chris Richland, Daphne Gladman, Peter Nash, Joe Marola, and Jose Scher. It's going to be lively. You should sign up for that webinar. Today's case, a 57-year-old with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. He is taking Humira and Diclofenac. The gentleman has had psoriasis since in his mid-20s and psoriatic arthritis for the last 10 years. He's previously been treated with methotrexate Humira, now on Embro. Oh, by the way, he also has HIV. And his HIV is well controlled on uh, uh, HRT. And uh, he's doing not so well today. In fact, last few visits, his joints are okay, but his skin has gotten worse. And his dermatologist saw him, sent him back to me to say, maybe we need a better drug than Etanercept. Because Etanercept is good at the joints in PSA, so-so at the skin in PSO. Uh, and the question is, what can you safely use in a gentleman who has HIV? Um, his arthritis and disease is pretty well established, um, mainly oligoarticular asymmetric disease involving the PIPs, toes, occasionally a knee, occasionally some enthesitis, psoriasis, nail changes. He's B27 negative. Um, and now he has nail findings and he has some uh, scaly plaques at his elbows um, and uh, over his knees. So the question is, what can we safely do? Lab-wise, he's always done well. His CD4 counts are above 400. So I don't know if you have a list, but I thought I would review with you my list of what I will use. And I think that, you know, back, I remember back almost like in my fellowship or residency that there was an Annals of Internal Medicine report that said, oh, you can't use you know, methotrexate and azathioprine in uh, HIV patients because they're, you know, they'll progress rapidly to AIDS and get sick. And that turns out not to be true. Um, and so I have used, you know, DMARDS therapy, and that would include a primalest and a methotrexate uh, in patients. But, you know, why when those are marginally effective compared to the biologics? So TNF inhibitors are very safe in HIV PSA patients. He's been on two of them. We're gonna move on, right? The next class that works really well with safety has been the IL-17 inhibitors, the IL-12-23 inhibitors, and now the IL-23 inhibitors all have been safely used in patients who are HIV positive and have uh, either psoriasis or psoriatic arthritis. And when I safely, mean safely, meaning that there's no worsening of their HIV status. Right? Their CD4 counts don't change. They do not get more opportunistic infections. As you know, with the IL-17 drugs, there's a marginal increase in oral candidiasis that might go up even a little bit more with the dual IL-17 inhibitors. Um, and that's something to watch for. And that has not yet been studied. So I'm talking about bimikizumab um, as an I, a dual IL-17 inhibitor, inhibiting IL-17A and IL-17F. But this is not really a concern, though candidiasis in patients who are on, for instance, TNF inhibitors or the IL-23 inhibitors. So that's my um, list of 
safe to use drugs in patients who are um, having active disease, either from their skin or their joints, um, from psoriasis, but also are HIV positive. Tune in for more great cases on QD Clinic. Sign up for that webinar, Controversies in PSA, Tuesday night, the 19th, 7 p.m. Eastern. Welcome to QD Clinic. QD Clinic is brought to you by Room Now Live. I'm Jack Cush from Room Now. Room Now Live starts today. You can go online and register and consume it all from home. RoomNow.live. Choose the free online at home registration. Today we're going to talk about comorbidity in psoriatic arthritis. Just heard a fabulous lecture by Dr. Alan Mentor on comorbidity and cardiovascular disease in psoriasis this morning. He's one of our speakers in a uh, Friday afternoon pod entitled um, The Management of Psoriatic Disease. He's going to talk about new therapies and exciting advances in psoriasis at Room Now Live. But Jose Scher is going to talk about the curse of comorbidity with psoriatic disease. Anyway, today's lecture, Dr. Mentor covered a lot of this content, um, specifically about the links between inflammation, psoriasis inflammation, and cardiovascular inflammation as the driving force behind increased cardiovascular events and poor cardiovascular outcomes in patients with psoriatic disease, both psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. I think it's important for us to be aware of this. I think most rheumatologists are aware of the comorbidities. I think the question that I want to cover here is, how do we manage comorbidities in the arthritis clinic or in the dermatology clinic? Let's go at them one by one. Number one, cardiovascular morbidity mortality. It's very clear that effective anti-inflammatory systemic control of inflammation therapies are going to be effective at lowering cardiovascular risk. This has been shown with methotrexate in rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, It's been shown with TNF inhibitors and other uh, anti-inflammatory biologics with rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, And there is data suggesting the same can be seen in psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. Maybe not as much data, but it's still the same message. It's still the same pathogenesis that's being interrupted by effective therapy. So maybe the best thing you can do is get great control of either psoriatic skin disease or psoriatic arthritis. The second most important thing that you must do is manage the cardiovascular risk factors. And either you're going to do that or have the patient seen by their primary care or cardiologist. Again, a psoriatic patient with cardiovascular risk factors and or a history of cardiovascular events needs to be seen by the cardiologist in addition to the dermatologist and rheumatologist. Of course, the cardiovascular risk is driven by other things like uh, the metabolic syndrome and obesity and hyperlipidemia. I think that rheumatologists need to be very, very clear and very, very consistent in the message that reducing weight leads to better disease control. No, that's not a corona cough. It's a kennel cough. And that means that patients who undergo dramatic weight loss, either by um, gastric sleeve or other kinds of gastric um, interruption surgeries, or um, major diets that lead to weight loss, repeatedly shown to improve psoriatic skin disease and inflammatory arthritis, both in rheumatoid and also in psoriatic arthritis. So, you know, uh, it turns out that we talk to our patients a lot about weight loss, and sometimes it seems like we're just talking uh, at a stone, but 
if you talk, uh, if you look at it from the other side, the patients who in fact do lose weight, the number one reason that they lost weight and continue to have successful weight loss is that their doctor was the driving force in them seeking a new solution. So it is important that we counsel our patients on the strong need for weight loss as a way of managing their inflammatory arthritis, controlling their skin psoriasis. Um, there's a lot of experience again here that's showing that, that weight loss leads to better disease control. And then lastly, depression. Depression, as you know, is constitutive um, for people who have psoriasis. It is sort of a, um, um, a burden that they carry with them, the disfigurement of having psoriasis that bothers them a whole lot more than it bothers other people, but at least a serious uh, um, coping issues, if not overt depression. I think it takes a heightened awareness by the clinician to continually uh, ask the patient how they're coping with their disease. Do they need help? Do they need to see a counselor? Do they need to see a psychologist, psychiatrist? You know, do they need medication for this? Because if you're not asking this question, this problem goes unnoticed. And as you know, depression is a serious big time problem, including suicidal ideation and frank suicide all elevating the people with active psoriatic disease uh, and our patients with psoriatic arthritis. So you need to be the person that drives that discussion. When we talk about comorbidities and inflammatory arthritis, everyone agrees it's a big issue and I should probably be involved, but I'm going to pass it off to my primary care doctor. Well, the problem is the patients don't often see the primary care doctor because you may be the sharpest knife in the drawer. You may be the person who best tends to their needs, so they think you're going to do everything. That being said, you should take the, um, the initiative on doing total patient whole disease management and do the screening for A1C, serum uric acid, hep B, hep C, TFTs, lipid levels, and then use that either for you to manage the problem or to have another doctor who can be part of the team manage the problem. And lastly, fatty liver is a big issue when there's obesity and psoriasis that also may need to, re, may need to be further assessed and also be managed by the hepatology division. Again, your plate is full when you see patients with psoriatic disease. It's not just skin deep. See you at Room Now Live. Welcome to QD Video, brought to you by RoomNow.Live, where every seat is a good seat. Where all the rheumatologists are above average. It's sort of like the Lake Wobegon meeting for rheumatologists. Today's case is PSA versus EOA. 59-year-old female with psoriasis since 2006, taken care of and diagnosed by a major league psoriatic mavian in, in Dallas, um, has been largely managed with methotrexate, weekly methotrexate, for a number of years with a good skin response, but a lot of joint pain, some back pain, a lot of pain and problems in her hands. She'd been treated with uh, secukinumab in the past with a great response to her skin, not to her joints. She never took a TNF inhibitor cyclosporin. She had a half past history of back pain. She had a DIP arthrodesis a few years ago. Um, and she really has had no response to her joints for uh, the therapy she received. That included methotrexate, NSAIDs, Tylenol, and secukinumab. Uh, at one point she took prednisone, but she doesn't remember how that responded. When you look at her x-ray, she has a pin in her DIP3. She has some reactive uh, central bony erosions, and in the DIP3 she has a sclerotic scooped out erosion medially. So is this PSA 
or is this EOA, erosive inflammatory osteoarthritis? Clearly the treatments would be different. Um, PSA would respond really well to um, many of the therapies we would use and, and maybe methotrexate, recent data with the, the uh, PSA seam study, look for that, um, suggest methotrexate would work. Uh, you know, we know that IL-17 inhibitors do work in PSA. We do also know that um, TNF inhibitors work very well. So there are a lot of things that would work really well. However, all those drugs would really have no effect, have been proven to have no effect in patients with the inf uh, inflammatory osteoarthritis. So the distinguishing features here could be the distribution. Um, joints, DIPs, and PIPs are present for both. Um, other joints might help to sway uh, your decision. So in erosive OA, you can have CMC and MTPs involved. Uh, but in uh, PSA, you can have other joints, but more importantly, you should look for obviously dactylitis and enthesitis that would help you think uh, psoriatic arthritis. The erosions are uh, in OA are central erosions, the gull wing erosions, uh, where there's a central erosion and an outer lip of reactive bone. Um, as opposed to uh, PSA, where they're mousier or marginal erosions um, that um, like what we see here. But this patient had both central erosions and a scooped out, um, well, actually, her scooped out erosion was medial, not necessarily on the lateral edge. So it looks like more of a central erosion over erosive OA. Serology should be negative for OA and less than 15% being seropositive for PSA. The proof is, unfortunately, I think often based in a response or non-response to your best therapies. Erosive OA doesn't respond to anything. Um, PSA has synovitis and tends to respond to the med drugs I mentioned earlier. There are lots of effective th trials uh, and, and therapies for PSA, but not so much for erosive inflammatory OA. And the progression is very slow in both, almost not able to tell just from progression. I think this patient had more erosive inflammatory OA. And since I have no effective therapy, the plan in my best therapy in patients like that is not a biologic, not a DMARD, they don't work, not plaquenil, waste of time. Um, methotrexate, did that a long time ago, didn't do that. Tried every biologic actually, none of them work. My best therapy for erosive inflammatory OA is a small dose of, of, of steroids, 2.5 milligrams of prednisone, plus mm, somewhere between uh, 1,300, 1,950 of acetaminophen, the long-acting form, Tylenol arthritis, or extended release acetaminophen, uh, given as a once-a-day dose, two or three pills once a day, sometimes twice a day, with that little dose of prednisone is often very good. And then problematic joints I manage by using Coban cohesive tape. Wait, I have some in the drawer here. Um, for those of you who are listening at home, sorry, you need to look at the video, but the same kind of tape that you use when you're getting your, um, your blood drawn and they wrap uh, the gauze with this clingy, stretchy tape. Two inch cohesive or Coban tape wrapped around a PIP and DIP for 14 days is a great way of controlling uh, their pain and making them better. That's it for this QD clinic. Students tomorrow's. This is QD Video brought to you by Room Now Live, the connected digital meeting. It's all about networking and interacting. And that's how we're going to measure education at this meeting. It's really going to be novel. Check it out.
Today's lesson, today's case, is about a 14-year-old who became a 23-year-old all the while having enthesitis-related arthritis. This interesting young gal presented to me at age 14 with bilateral heel pain. She had a year of pain and dysfunction. She was an athlete. She was actually sort of a state-level, world-class kind of athlete trying to get a college scholarship. Uh, and um, because of her enthesitis in her heels, she was unable to uh, perform and her future was in jeopardy. Uh, so she came and of course we did some testing and HLA-B27 was positive. Um, she had already tried a few non-steroidals. She was put on a TNF inhibitor and boom, her life changed dramatically. You know, she'd been called plantar fasciitis. She had had some low back pain, but she had no other features of a spondyloarthritis um, and related conditions. She had no iritis, no GI, no skin. Uh, her back was back pain, kind of inflammatory, but not truly inflammatory and never developed over the many years I followed her, sacroiliitis. Um, and of course her heel pain, which was largely Achilles tendonitis that, and with some plantar fasciitis thrown in, uh, was dramatically responsive to TNF inhibition. Um, she resumed her athletic career got a college scholarship, moved away, came to see me every six months. And I've been following her, and she's now 23 years old. She's a wonderful young woman. She's in business. Uh, she's completed her education. She continues to take um, sort of a half dose. She spaced out her dosing on her TNF inhibitor to take it um, twice as infrequently. You do the math. But she's doing really, really well, not needing non-steroidals. Um, had a little back pain recently. I did a recheck of her back x-rays and they were normal and she has no sacroiliitis. And again, she's never had eye disease. Um, and really might have had some swollen ankles to begin with, but honestly, arthritis synovitis has not been a part of her picture. It's been largely enthesitis. So this subset, as we know, it's the JIA subset has been reclassified several times. This, this is now called ER ERA or um, not early rheumatoid arthritis, but instead, enthesitis-related arthritis uh, occurring in a pediatric uh, population. They like to present with um, enthesopathy. They may have uh, oligoarthritis or polyarthritis. They tend to be older in that 9 to 16 age group. Um, they um, can get back pain, inflammatory back pain. They seldom have sacroiliitis, but they could have sacroiliitis. And this subset could make up as much as 15 to 20 percent of children presenting with arthritis uh, before the age of 16. Uh, and guess what? This can, can, can continue. Twice this young woman has discontinued her TNF inhibitor only to have her heel pain return. So we'll continue to test that over time. Uh, she seems to do well again on half dosing uh, of her TNF inhibitor without any side effects or risks. Uh, and again, she's now childbearing potential, so we'll have to discuss that with her. Um, at each visit coming up. But again, the uh, outcome of these young people can be really, really good with TNF inhibitors and possibly with other agents like the IL-17 inhibitors as well, should they be needed. So interesting case. Uh, tune in to QD video for more like this.